Thank you very much, Gil. Thanks for the welcome. Good to be here. Oh, thanks to the prophet. Very good. Jock Troop wouldn't have liked that. You know, he was preaching in Inverness and a big velvet surround to the pulpit. And he's, he was a Bible thumper and he used to thump this thing. And by the end of the shift, as they say, at the end of his sermon, he looked like a miner just up from the coal pit. <laughs> and as soon as the meeting was over, the ladies were all around trying to get all the dust out of this velvet cushioning. Uh, and these are great songs we're singing. You know, God is faithful. That's the motto of the Bible Training Institute, or was. Um, and uh, I hold and I am held. That was the motto of Spurgeon's College in London. And the London Bible College one was uh, Ta'ano Fronite. We used to think it meant thank you, Auntie, for the nighty. But <laughs> it really means <laughs> put your mind on, set your affection on things above. And that's what we're hoping to do. Um, thank you for your prayers. I know some of you pray regularly for us. And the answer the thing is, why aren't the prayers being answered? No, but um, we're very grateful. I'm, trying, I'm studying for three articles I'm writing for a magazine on the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary. On the 31st of October, a young monk called Martin Luther nailed 95 theses in the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg in Germany. And uh, the Protestant Reformation was launched. And uh, there's a famous scholar called Desiderius Erasmus. And he was born the illegitimate child of a priest. And he grew up to be one of the finest Greek scholars ever. And here's what he said about Luther. He said, I hatched an egg and Luther grew a very different bird out of it. <laughs> uh, so we're studying on that. The first one's done. I hope to start the second one uh, this week. It's good to be here again and to, to see the wonderful transformation of this building. It was lovely before. It's beautiful now. Um, and over the next few weeks, I hope to have a look at a few Old Testament characters. But tonight, I want to, to speak about um, a text that you might have in mind. I quite often have a text at the beginning of the year that I take with me through the year. So this is it for us tonight, if that's okay. And then we'll go on to Abraham next week. Um, so if you have your Bible with you, would you care to turn, please, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. The headline in the New International Version says, Boasting about tomorrow. It's absolutely bang on apt for us this weekend and we hope it is for you too. Now listen you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that disappears, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This is the word of the Lord. Now there are five Jameses mentioned in the New Testament. and try and pinpoint who this one is. There's James, the son of Zebedee. 
the fisherman. And uh, there's James, the son of Alphaeus, who's one of the twelve disciples of the Lord Jesus. And then there's James, the father of Judas, not Iscariot. And then there's James the Lesser or James the Little mentioned in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. And then there's this one, I think, this is the one who wrote the letter. He's called in Galatians 1.19, James the Lord's brother. That means he was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know Jesus came from a big family? If you look at Mark chapter 6, they say, where did this man get these things? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Doesn't say how many sisters the Lord Jesus had, but he'd at least two, eh? Um, And he took offence at him. So James, who wrote this letter, we think, was one of this big family. First up would be best dressed, as with all big families, and he had all these brothers and at least two sisters. Martin Luther wasn't keen on James, he was a bit suspicious about the letter. He said it's an epistle of straw, because he didn't like the way James presented faith and works together. But later on, Martin Luther, before he died, he changed his view about that. Um, He changed his view. Um, and it's a wonderful letter it's, it's full of interesting parts of speech rhetorical questions paradoxical statements imaginary conversations imperatives that's commands there are 60 in the 108 verses in the letter um, and it's, it's really he personifies objects he quotes famous people from the past like Elijah and he directly addresses his readers you in my New Testament truth there was a man called Donald Guthrie Dr. Donald Guthrie found at least 25 affinities between the letter of James and the, the Sermon on the Mount preached by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapters 5 through to 7 and so we accept that this was James, the Lord's brother. And living at close quarters with the Lord Jesus, he picked up a lot of the teaching and ideas about the Lord Jesus. So here's how I see this passage. I see it with a question as the hinge in the middle. See verse 14, he asks a question. What is your life? That's a good question to ask. What is your life? That's the hinge of the whole business. The Bible's full of questions. Adam, where are you? If a man die, will he live again? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Uh, The Lord Jesus asked that question. James says here, What is your life? It's a great question. And there are four things about our lives. First of all, our lives are powerful. Our lives influence other people. Have you noticed that? How your life influences other people. Uh, This man, uh, Andrew Sibbald, his funeral I took on Friday, he served his national service in the army in Cyprus. And here's how he became a Christian. 
He became a Christian through the Christian witness of ladies in the cafeteria. Think about that with your ministry next door. Um, he was so impressed by their Christian quality in their speech and in their demeanour and behaviour that he had to become a Christian. And that's what happened to, to Andrew. And he served the Lord so faithfully for so many years. Our lives are powerful. Our lives are passing so quickly. And those of us who are older, you know, will agree. And if you don't know this, you should learn it. That the older you get, the quicker it goes. <laughs> Time just flashes past. When I, I see a ball, I know what I used to do with a ball. When I try to do the same, the result is ridiculous. And say, look at that stupid old man there, kicking a ball. <laughs> uh, our lives are passing. Our lives are precious. Two things about our lives. First of all, um, we've only one life will soon be passed. We used to say, the old Christians used to say, only what's done for Jesus will last. Precious. Life's so precious. And you know, I don't know you all. I know some of you quite well. But I'll tell you something about yourself. There has never been anybody in the universe, in the history of the world, the same as you. <laughs> you are unique. You are distinctive. You are special. You are precious. And I'll tell you something else. There will never be anybody else in the history of the world like you. God has given us one life. We have only one life and God has only one you. And you can be used in a unique way in the hands of God. Their lives are powerful and passing and precious. And some folks think, I can do what I like with my life. You know, the world's full of eye disease. Did you know that? Eye disease. I'm going to do what I'm going to do when I'm going to do it. And God says, no, you've not to live like that. He says... God says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Your life is purchased. The price was the, the given life and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And it was an awful death he went through. My first job was with Colvos Limited in the, the steel industry in Lanarkshire. Um, I was sent quite soon after starting work I was sent to work in the reserves department and up near Inchtutel in Perth they found a Roman camp and uh, the Roman camp had a whole lot of stuff in it one of the things in it was a big chest wooden chest full of nails the wood had all rotted in the, uh, the container that held the nails and the top layer was all rusted over solid. When they lifted that, the nails underneath were as fresh looking as when the Romans left, or so it seemed. And of course, we were, we were to count the nails and we were to measure the size of the nails and grade them so many, so many inches and so many, you know, and then we had to bend the nails and we had to do harness tests on the nails, chemical analysis of the nails and a whole lot of stuff and they were not like our nails our nails are round in section with a, a round head 
These nails were square in section with a square head and some of them were this length. And of course being a shy boy as you know I am, um, I didn't ask for a nail. I regretted it. I always afterwards I didn't say, going to give a nail him. <laughs> you know, I wanted a nail but I thought these were the ugly spikes that went through the hands and feet of my blessed Lord on the cross. And he did that for you for us. Um, purchased. Our lives are purchased. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Now back to the passage. The hinge was the question, what is your life? Before it, he sets out one way of living, which is contrasted after it with another way of living. And so I would say these are the two ways of living that James sets before us around this hinge of what is your life. The first one is the way of the world. The way of the world. And here's the busyness of life. The guys described here are vast in number in our world. And I'm sure there's a lot of them in Moody's Burn. They don't even know about tomorrow. But they choose their time. And they pick their spot, we'll go to this city today or tomorrow. Um, they limit their stay, we'll spend a year there, we'll plan their activities, we'll work, carry on business, such as it is, and a whole lot of Jews that would read this, the Jews are great and famous for business, aren't they? We'll carry on business, and then uh, they predict their profits after the time of activity there. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with thinking ahead? What's wrong with planning ahead? Not a thing, except God is not included in the equation. The spiritual dimension of life is not included in the equation. And uh, that's a severe error. Because <clears throat> this is the way of the world. And you go to, I mean, I go to take funerals. I say, did he go to Sunday school? No. Did he go to the boys' brigade? No. Was he in the life boys? No. Um, did he go to church? No. Um, did he have a Bible? No. Now, a lot of folk that don't go to church, I would say, on a Sunday at tea time, they put on songs of praise. Did they watch that? No, I switched it off when that was on, you know. And then they all want to go to heaven. Spend their whole life neglecting God, living as if God did not exist, um, and looking very sad sometimes. Martin Luther once, his wife went up the stairs, you know he got his wife out of a fish barrel, did you know that? He smuggled 13 nuns, 13 Cistercian nuns out of the nunnery in fish barrels, and he promised to get jobs or husbands for them all. That was a tall order, wasn't it? Well, he got husbands or jobs for 12 of them. And so he had one left, so he just married her. You know, <laughs> Katie Von Bora. She was a great wife to him. And they had a lovely home and lovely family and stacks of visitors. A brewer died and left him his big house. 
and he used to bring she never knew what he was bringing home but he'd average about 20 a day around the table for the main meal in the evening he, the folk he brought in Martin Luther um, and uh, <coughs> that was him and uh, he lived his life like that but uh, life can be very busy and is very bad to plan out our lives as if God did not exist and sometimes even as Christians we get caught up in the rat race don't we Um, and we get involved in it and we start to act and think as if God was not in that you know Um, so here's the way of the world beware (laughs) what is your life James says Beware the way of the world. And then in the second part of the wee passage that we've read tonight, um, it talks about another way. It talks about what I would call the way of the cross. The way of the cross. Because you see, when you realize what Christ has done, when you stand before that cross, you start to evaluate your life in the light of what he has done. There's a man called C.T. Studd. Charlie study founded what became the worldwide evangelization crusade and he said if Jesus Christ be God and died for me then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him you know his whole life was changed because of this new evaluation he had of his life and James says here what is your life it's just like I missed it it's just Temporary, you're just a bubble in the puddle, and you're just a mist. And he says, Here's how you should live. Instead, he says, Instead of living the way of the world, God has another way for you to live. Instead, he says, You ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. If it is the Lord's will. Deo Valente If the Lord will So that's how we'll live We should live our lives uh, First of all With reference to God's will With reference to God's will We shouldn't follow the way of the world We should follow the way of the cross Which alters our perspectives And our assessment And our evaluation of our lives We should live with reference to God's will. That's number one. And then the second thing is, we should live our lives with deference to God's will. We shouldn't only just believe in the will of God. You know, it's not fatalism this. It's if the Lord wills. And we we live not only with reference to God's will, but we live with deference to God's will and we put his will at the top of the agenda and the top of the list in our uh, what we regard as important in our lives with reference to God's will with deference to God's will and thirdly with preference to God's will in other words this is the the overwhelming driving force in our lives and we live in the light of it 
Martin Luther, he was, he was invited by the Roman Catholic hierarchy to go to a big discussion about his teaching and his writings in a place called Worms, W-O-R-M-S, Worms, can you say that? The Diet of Worms, it didn't mean he ate worms or anything like that. He was invited to go to the Diet of Worms and he, his friends were all scared they would kill him because that ca- happened quite a lot. It happened to George Wishart in Scotland in St Andrews when that awful man, uh, Cardinal Beaton, invited him so-called for a discussion and he went along, it wasn't a discussion at all by the next morning he'd be tried, convicted and, and killed um, and so Martin Luther's friends they were, they were very persistent that he shouldn't go to the Diet of Worms and his great opponent was a man called Duke George sorry his name was George but it was called Duke George and Martin Luther said if there were as many devils as there are tiles in the roof <coughs> and if it rained Duke George's all the way from here to Worms <laughs> I would still go and he went and he said here I stand God helping me we think he said that here I stand, he had all his, his uh, books laid out and he said, if you can show me that anything I've written there doesn't agree with the Bible, then, he says, I will recant and I'll uh, get rid of these books. But, he says, here I stand, God helping me. And he served the Lord in that way. That's the third way. We have to live our lives with reference to God. We have to give our, live our lives with deference to God. And we have to live our lives with preference to God. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Uh, J.B. Phillips' translation, Don't let this world squeeze you into its mould but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will and personalize it get to the place of saying God's will is good for me God's will is pleasing for me and I know as I review my life that I could I could never be any happier than I am as a Christian serving God with my life and seeing his blessing his will, his will is good for me his will is pleasing for me and then he says and perfect will his will is perfect for me it fits like a glove it fits like a glove you know how somebody you say oh she's a born teacher or she's a born nurse or something like that she's a born cleaner <laughs> you know uh, somebody say what do you, what's your job and she says well my job is turning chaos into cosmos <laughs> I love it when they trash the bedrooms in the hotel and I have to sort them all out again you know she felt called to it you know and this man that was digging busily in one of these primitive places he was preparing an airstrip you know 
And you say, what are you, what are you doing with your life? Well, I'm taking away all these boulders so that people can fly. <laughs> you know? That's what we're doing. We're clearing the path for other people to come into the experience of God that we are in now. God bless you this year. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We praise you that you sent us a saviour when we were yet without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. And we thank you, Lord, that you can reveal your your will to us so that we recognise that it's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. So we thank you for your word and pray for your blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.